There it is. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another fun week. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about deconstruction, deconstructing religion and being autonomous. What does that mean exactly? Well, tune in to find out. Practicing polyamory, real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. It is my favorite day of the week. It's Monday. Why is it my favorite? Because we get back to having a little fun, talking to someone new, and uh, getting some great insights. So welcome back. And before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show, especially on Facebook and Instagram, where I'm most active. But you can find us anywhere on all social media platforms at Practicing Polyay. More followers help me show up higher in search results, and it's easy, super easy, and free way to support the show. Speaking of free ways to support the show, the best way to do so is to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you're downloading the pod. My goal is to get to 40,000 subscribers. I know that we're that with your help, I can get there. So please, if you find value in what we're doing here, share it with your polycule, share it with your friends and your chosen family and all over the interwebs. Lastly, and as always, I want to remind you, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. If you are actively polyamorous, polyam curious, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kinkster, queer, lesbian, trans, envy, arrow, ace, whatever it is, if you are any of those things, we want to hear your story because the fact is the more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, and the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that's my spiel, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get on to the best part of the show and introduce our guest. Now, I am sure that many of you listening today can relate with today's guest, who was brought up in a conservative, religious, Midwestern home. Although she began to question religious teachings early in her teenage years, she gaslit herself into believing her heart was just wicked and (coughs) deceitful. Following a two-year missionary trip in Mexico, our guest began a gradual deconstruction and departure from her faith. Now, it has not been an easy road, and there continues to be a lot of unpacking and recalibration of what actually is, as opposed to what she was taught. And as part of her healing for religious indoctrination around sexual purity, she began (laughs) to explore ethical non-monogamy in 2016, and now identifies as polyamorous. I'm excited to dive into this heavy topic that I'm sure a lot of people struggle with. So without further ado, joining us today out of the great state of Minnesota, host of the Everyone's Autonomous podcast and coach to the E&M community and those suffering from religious trauma, welcome to the show, Marie Delafon. <laughs> I see wow. you dancing back there. Your cloud is your crowd is just warmed up. Yeah, you know we gotta get 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 going and get the energy up, you know, because we're yeah. here to have fun and learn. Yeah. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? <laughs> <laughs> I love the producer. The producer is awesome, and shout out to that guy uh, at Business Bros Pod. Anybody who wants to follow and listen to what he's 
what he's doing. Uh, another podcast of ours. Uh, but Marie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for hanging out with me, giving me some of your time. Um, let's dive in. Tell me just a little bit about yourself. You called it history first. Give us a history lesson. Tell us who you are, where you come from, what got you to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, like you mentioned, um, I grew up here in Minnesota and was raised in a pretty evangelical Midwestern family. And they took the religion very seriously. Everything was about a relationship with, with Christ. And there was a heaven and there was a hell and there's right and there's wrong. There's sin and, and uh, very much uh, kind of infiltrated into your brain. And so you weren't allowed to have your own thoughts because your thoughts were either of God or of the devil. Mm. And um, I started doubting that when I was about 13, but uh, you know, I had been indoctrinated so deeply that it just ended up being a lot of very active dissonance and tension and, and toxicity that I ended up just trying to prove myself to God. And I doubled mm -hmm. down on my own faith and became a missionary in an even more um, extreme form of, of Christianity. And I moved to Mexico and I lived there for two years and I I uh, went out into these poor areas of, of Mexico and danced in a skirt to these songs about Jesus to try to win souls for God um, and never actually helped <laughs> anyone. <laughs> I surrender to your will. That's what we expect. That's what he expects. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and so I it, it was just really a roller coaster. And I'm I'm not trying to get into all the little details of what that felt like, but if people can relate, they they can imagine pretty quickly mm -hmm. um the experience of being in a faith that doesn't make sense for you, yet you're kind of threatened to stay to to stay in it. Um and so I kind of around my mid to late 20s, I finally felt comfortable enough following that doubt. And I um ended up deconverting from that faith. However, I didn't end up deconstructing the faith. Um, so a lot of the kind of underlying uh, roads in my head weren't labeled Jesus anymore and weren't labeled doctrine anymore, but still just very much affected how I moved around in the world. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening. And so for a good decade plus, I was just kind of in a very trauma state, I'm using the word liberally, um, mm. but it, it was, you know, de developing an eating disorder and, and getting into really unhealthy relationships. And, and I, <laughs> when I was Christian, I, I was Christian during the time in the nineties where they had this program called true love waits. And I read this book by Josh Harris, uh, Joshua Harris. What's his name? I think it's Josh Harris. Go um, called uh Gosh, what I, a good biblical name yeah <laughs> called <laughs> I, I i kissed dating goodbye and it was this it was very trendy mm. and and um so the idea was that you court you don't date you don't date mm -hmm. anyone you don't think that you're gonna marry and the coolest people didn't even kiss until their wedding day but you definitely don't have sex until your wedding day and and so they encouraged us in high school and junior high to sign, the, sign these pledges true love waits to save your virginity for your future mm -hmm. husband. Because if you are a female, you will marry a male. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it was just a lot of heteronormativity and sexual purity culture that I gobbled up because I was terrified. I'm mostly straight and I'm terrified of, of men. I'm scared of them because I, I never had to interact with them in any sincere way because God was my hookup. Like he was my like, 
wingman. And so <laughs> I didn't really have to do anything because everyone told me God was going to hook me up. Right. So I didn't actually like flirt or learn about myself or date anyone um, because I just figured God was just going to pop this guy into my life. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, uh, I left missions and I got into this relationship with this guy and married him and lost my virginity to him in, in a, in a rebellious rage against uh, the faith that I was coming out of. But so, it, you know, I divorced him and whatever, and that's great. And that's wonderful. But then the, the decade that's following, I, I thought would be better. Like, you know, I left Christianity. I thought everything would be better. But like I said, I hadn't fully deconstructed what I had been indoctrinated with. And so and that's the key, right? Right. And I didn't realize that was a thing until like, I don't know, six months ago. And uh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly on a journey here. Um, yeah. I feel so, that. yeah. And so I got into a new relationship and it was healthy and it's great. And I'm still with him. Um, but even with him, like I was uh, just constantly depressed, anxious, uh, very compulsive behaviors. I had the eating disorder, uh, just toxic relationships and my friendships and stuff and never really speaking up for myself. So I had left religion, but I still had repressed my voice. I didn't know what my voice was. I didn't know how to be present in my own mind. I didn't know what my mind was. I didn't know what my thoughts were. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with them. And all mm. I had was the residual shame um, from Christianity telling me that if there are bad thoughts that make bad things happen, I am bad. And um, so- it's, It sounds like you had a lot of, of guilt and like, uh, th th there's two things that I'm thinking of right now as you're kind of going through it. One is uh, the the guilt that we carry. I mean, for one thing, it's when when I was also brought up in a religious household, and when I was uh, in deep into my religion, it was about uh, there was a lot of guilt attached there too. You know, when I wasn't doing the right things, when I was sinning, you know, it's like I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, and and a lot of guilt there. Um, but by the same token, there's, you know, I was actually having this conversation with, a, with my partner this morning. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of foundation there. There's a lot that's tied into my identity at that level. And so it sounds like when you were letting go of that, it was like a mixture of those two things as well, identity and guilt. Would yeah. you say that that's kind of on, on the right track? Yeah, you know, that that resonates with me for sure. Yeah, I, I didn't know who I was, you know, mm -hmm. and I, all I had left was shame. That's all mm -hmm. I had. And and a, a human being that is coded in shame is going to do things to soothe itself that <clears throat> are dysfunctional and ineffective. And so that's where I that's where I found myself. And and as time went by, you know, I got married to this other guy because I just I just like to go through them. Um, so I got married <laughs> to this other guy in 2010. And I'm still monogamous at this point, not even thinking about polyamory. I'm like, polyamory, that sounds like a Mormon thing. And you yeah. icky. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it because, again, did I, I didn't deconstruct the values of my faith, the values of my culture. You know, and so I, I had these uh, reactionary values or reactionary impressions of things that I never actually put under a microscope because I didn't know what thinking was <laughs> and I didn't know 
that you can possess your thoughts, you can inquire of your thoughts, you can agree with some of your thoughts, and you can disagree with some of your mm. thoughts, you can change your thoughts, and all of your thoughts are okay, and all of your feelings are okay, and these are things that I didn't know, and I learned them when I you know, went to the clinic for my eating disorder, you know, that's when I'm learning about cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, where you can get for, more familiar with your own cognition. So I started to deconstruct the idea of, of being present in my own mind and, and having an influence on what I experience up here and then how it manifests out in my behavior. So yeah, anyway, that's, that's oh, what yeah, I wanted ahead. to ask you about was, was that deconstruction process. Uh, it sounds like you, you did some therapy to kind of get the ball rolling there. Yeah. Uh, and some of the things that you were doing to soothe yourself, giving you, giving yourself that space to say, Hey, I'm allowed to have these thoughts. I'm allowed to change my thoughts, which is, huge considering you know religion is like you can't change anything yeah. um can you tell me more about that deconstruction process well it's taken a lot of time like the the things that i'm articulating to you now are are in some ways still very fresh because mm -hmm. it is a, a lifelong i think i think it's a lifelong long thing to deconstruct anything that you were raised in because it's like a fish in water who doesn't understand that they're in water that doesn't they don't understand the context uh, of the very physics which surround them the physics of culture like what is that who, who does that make you become mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and how how are you not the exception like Identity I thought that I was again, the right? default, you know? Yeah, yeah. And who, who is everyone else? Uh, you know, there's a lot of white supremacy that I've needed to deconstruct from myself that was embedded into me from my culture and my faith. Mm -hmm. um, patriarchy, internalized misogyny, that kind of thing. Um, and so to answer your question, the, 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 the way I started approaching deconstruction, therapy helped, but therapy... And mental health, uh, the whole arena, in my personal opinion, lacks an existential ap approach, like mm -hmm. an acknowledgement that, hi, you're a human being, and which means that you have a brain, an electrified tapioca pudding in your head, and <laughs> <laughs> it works this particular way, and there's some variations across many of us, but like there's some consistent things and ways that we can understand of how we work. And, and holy shit, we're alive. And also, can we acknowledge for a moment that nobody knows what the fuck is going on and why I'm <laughs> like, and why the self is an illusion and why there's a sense of self and am I an I at all? Like the, none of that. Wow. Is wow. That's existential AF. Yeah. Wow. I'm existential AF. Yeah. And like nobody ever addressed those things in mental health because they're just trying to help you survive. And that's, you know, this existential stuff is the responsibility of the church or your own soul searching. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm getting tools uh, to, to be present with my thoughts and to cope and to do self-care, but I still never uh, processed holy shit what the fuck is going on? What is this big ball in space? And why am right, I here? Right. <laughs> and uh -huh, uh -huh. and why, 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 why? And so I think I kind of got to several different breaking points of not getting those particular things addressed in, in all the support that I was seeking. Um, and, and I think in, in short, Polly has revealed a lot of those things to me in strange, tangential 
ways. It's it's an entry point. And I, I decided to explore ethical non-monogamy because I was getting to a point with my husband, um, my partner, um, who's right there in the frame. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to a point where if he would approach me for sex, I would have a panic attack and I would start heaving and sobbing in the kitchen. And this kept on happening. And I went to get support from a sex therapist. I went to even get tested. Like they put a, like a vibrator on my clit and like measured its responsiveness in a doctor's office, like mm -hmm. to see if I had something biologically going on that I was like, literally asexual or something like that. Uh -huh, Nothing uh -huh. that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I didn't know what was going on, but clearly something was wrong. And <clears throat> so I kind of, so it's a very long story and I'm trying to truncate it for the size of the show, but sure. I, I came to the point where I realized I'm not going to resolve my sexual issues with one man for the rest of my life because my, my, my childhood, my youth, my younger twenties, were just so fucking uh, arrested development that I didn't get to develop a, a lot of these things that a lot of other folks did. I didn't get to contend with my fear of men. I didn't get to work out my relationship issues or develop my communication or, or unpack any of the toxic messages that I had about relationships and marriage and um, monogamy. Um, so, you didn't get to do that in your like young teenage years when it doesn't count. You had to figure it out all as an adult when, right. when you're right. paying for keeps. Kind of, yeah. And I was kind of stuck with him. So I was like, I, I can't figure this out just with you. And I, I said to him in December 2016, I was like, I think I want to look into non-monogamy. And he was like, uh... Okay. <laughs> really? He, yeah. I think he was a little hurt at first because it was hard uh -huh. for him to not internalize that and be like, oh, this is me that I'm not enough. And mm -hmm. he's he he took responsibility for unpacking that for himself. But at the end of the day, like this is what I wanted to do. And so I read a shit ton of books and then I, I jumped in and I jumped in. I jumped in. Um <laughs> Which doesn't mean exactly what maybe everyone thinks, but like I. Well, I was, I'm curious. What does it mean? For me, it meant that I was uh, swiping all day long. I was uh -huh. messaging a bunch of people. And whenever I felt safe, I would try to initiate a date and I would go on those dates and then I would come home and I would write about it and I would process it and I would think about how I felt about it. And, and it was just this very intentional, emotional labor. Um, of getting to know myself. And then I ended up getting into a long-term relationship with someone and, and, and then, and then that story kind of repeats itself. And, and then I got into a long-term relationship with someone else and a long-term relationship with someone else that I'm in, with right now for the last five months, in addition to my partner. Um, so, so that's all to say that in this time, in this time, so the deconstruction, right? So the, one of the first deconstructions that I had in poly was when my husband started dating his girlfriend. And that was like six months into our adventure. So I'd already kissed a dude by then. <laughs> I'd already, <laughs> I'd already had sex with someone by then. And so okay, I, I okay. it was fair game, right? Like he, he should be able to right. do this. Yeah. So, so he starts dating our friend and oh boy, I, I was like, I know that something might happen here inside of me and I don't know what it's going to be, but I promise that I'm here to work on it. Okay. I will, I will talk it out with you. And I had a very strong emotional reaction 
to him dating her and, and to keep it short, um, what ended up happening is that it took me probably about more than a year to really process it, to, to feel comfortable in the same room with both of them together. Wow. Like I was very squicked out about a lot of things. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I was very communicative. I was, I was rational and reasonable in like how we talked about things, but how I felt was not, not at all rational. And I knew that. So I was really good about talking about it. But point being, um, the, the woman that he ended up dating, I projected onto her this image of the perfect woman and anyone listening probably are, relates already. <laughs> like she's, yep. She's, you know, I'm, I'm like 215 pounds or something. I'm, I'm tall. I've got a, a big nose. These are features that I focus on myself. Right. And I mm -hmm. think, and I'm, and I'm a little talkative. I'm a little brass. So I'm not, I'm not the woman that I was told to be by culture and by the dainty, faith. submissive, meek, quiet, mm -hmm. sex, sex, uh, uh, fiend like mm -hmm, like i needed mm -hmm. to be super uh sexy and stuff so so she on the other hand has long hair i've got pixie hair you know and sometimes people think i'm a man if they stand behind me and i'm wearing sweatshirts you know so like but she's got long hair and she'll dye it pink and she'll wear makeup and eyeliner and earrings and she wears short little skirts and uh so she dresses up for things and she's very flirty unabashedly and mm -hmm. she can her end of a conversation uh really well and she and, and so i was like we do that to ourselves don't we don't we compare oh yeah oh yeah i compared myself to her and i was like i am nothing i am i have none of these things i fail as a sexual object i fail as a woman as a as a partner like i i all of my own insecurities finally had an object to pour themselves into and say mm. that that is what you need to fucking be and it's so right in your face you can walk away from any other pretty wow. girl but she was dating my husband and so i had to cope with that reality <laughs> day in and day out and and i was committed to it like i was like i want to work this i want to work this through and mm. so at the end of the day um I had an epiphany like a year and a half into it where I was like, but I don't want to be her. Like mm. I, I've, I've really developed my own character and who I am by choice, not by indoctrination, not by the trickle down effect. I've developed who I am. And even in this moment, hearing myself talk, I'm like, God, I love me. And not in a, <laughs> but not in a narcissistic way. Like I just have a deep affection for who I've become. I, I love how vulnerable and soft and raw and transparent I am and how reasonable and rational and compassionate and empathetic I am. And, and so in that day, I, I was like, I don't wanna be her. I, I love who I am. And so that experience helped me deconstruct that. And that's just kind of one experience. But the caveat, the, the requirement was commitment to an expectation, knowing that this was going to be challenging, knowing that it was going to bring up shadows, that it was going to bring up insecurities, expecting it, planning on it, committing to work with it, and, and rejecting any kind of like hostile 
language, uh, mm -hmm. blaming mm -hmm. language and, and recognizing that we have a common enemy. And that's, that's the trickle down effect of culture and religion and, and the values that they, they try to put into us, that, that that's what we're fighting against, not each other. Mm -hmm. So Polly really helped me deconstruct that. Polly helped me fall in love with myself. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of that was also just taking ownership for your own feelings, for your own, um, th that comparison that you were doing, that was in your own head. That wasn't anything that she was doing. That wasn't anything that your partner was doing. And you were able to recognize that and say, this is me. This is something that I need to do. Were there any like specific things during that year that you were coming to terms, anything that you can think of um, that helped you, you know, I, it, there, there was the epiphany that you finally had that you didn't want to be her, but between that epiphany and them two starting to date, what were some of the steps? What were some of the things that you kind of went through and, and ways that you dealt with it? Yeah. Um, one thing that sticks out to me is this term um, I coined after I discovered that I was enveloping it was uh, the term super cool poly wife. And I wonder if intuitively people know what that means already. But like uh, when I was starting poly, I was really proud of the research that I had done. I was really proud mm -hmm. of how I was handling my feelings and everything. And so when they started dating, I was like, <clears throat> I'm going to be super fucking cool poly wife. I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to support them. I'm going to look out for them. Like I'm going to invite them over. We're going to have kitchen table poly and yes, it's going to yes. be the I know. I was like, I'm gonna... <laughs> but then they would come over and I would be like, oh, God, I want to throw up. Like, I can't even. Oh, oh my God, God. He just touched her. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, and, like, oh. and it was not my body was not in agreement mm -hmm. with this approach. And so I had oh, to have God. this aha moment of like, you don't need to be super cool, poly wife. That is not a requirement <sighs> for this. You can you can. And so then that that pushed me into like, how do you navigate boundaries then? Like, do I get to oh. say you don't get to fuck in this bed or do I move into something more reasonable and say, this squicks me out. Can we make a, an agreement that if you do fuck in this bed with her, that you're going to have the sheets washed by the time I get home. I, that feels pretty mm -hmm. fucking reasonable instead of right, being like, right. you can do anything to her, but you can't put your dick in her because that dick, like that's just too much. Cause then like, you know, it's this, this weird thing of like needing to have exclusivity, some mm -hmm. kind of unique part of your relationship. So, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but that, that was one thing that helped de declining the narrative of super cool poly wife. And, um, like I mentioned earlier, just agreeing to the reality that this is going to bring up some shit. This mm -hmm. is going to bring up some shit. And, and if you're going into it thinking that you're going to have a fuck fest, you're going to be disappointed when you find out that you get frustrated. Conflict is happening and conflict isn't, doesn't produce a lot of fucking. And so like, <laughs> not that it's all about fucking, but I'm just trying to say like, that's the illusion that a lot of people have about mm -hmm. this. This is, this is laborious. It can be very laborious for me. It's laborious. It's a, a spiritual, I, I use that word ironically, but it's kind of a spiritual practice. It's a, it's a, it's a way of knowing myself and knowing the world through other people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the attitude, the intention that you bring into this practice, this lifestyle. Um, I think that did me a lot of favors 
in, in getting through this and, and having a lot of therapy on the back end uh, mm -hmm. or front end. I never know what that means, but beforehand, um, really prepared me to be able to speak really clearly about the feelings that were showing up for me and to, to, to expect that ownership of feelings was probably going to happen and that we needed to kind of keep our eyes on those things. And, and then I think doing a lot of research beforehand really mm -hmm. helped reading a lot of books because then I knew what pitfalls to expect. And that's why I knew before he even started dating, I might experience jealousy. Right. It might last for a month. It might last for a year and a half, whatever it is, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm committed to this. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So those are a couple of things. There's more of course, but keeping course. it short. Um, yeah, yeah. Those were things that helped me. I mean, I don't, I don't purposely do this, but my mind, my brain just keeps going back to identity. Uh, there was like a, a, uh, this identity that you wanted to have of the super cool poly wife. <laughs> and like, it was this expectation. And, and when you didn't fit quite into that mold, you changed your own belief about yourself and you were able to embrace like your true identity as opposed to, you know, whatever, whatever identity you expected. Um, and even going down a little bit further, when you had your epiphany, it was like your, your identity of what you were supposed to be the mm -hmm. sexy, meek, dainty, you know, et cetera. And just embracing the identity of what you actually are. Right. Um, circling all the way back now to what we originally were going to talk about, which was autonomy, <laughs> right? I mean, does that kind of, it, it seems to me like that kind of fits into, into that framework where we yeah. have these expectations of what we are supposed to be or what we, what we want to be, what we ideally might be, but then there's the truth of what we actually are. Yeah. Can yeah. you give me just a little bit on that? Yeah, aut aut autonomy, even though it's just a word, has been my mantra for quite a few years now. It, it informs how I practice polyamory. It informs how I practice all of my relationships. And it it, it uh, creates, in its, in its most powerful moments, I'm not perfect, but it creates a, a sense of zen, of, um, to use another phrase, uh, of saying yes to what is to accepting reality on, on reality's terms instead of resisting against what is. And so like mm -hmm. you say, the, this practice of poly has helped me realize this connection is really uh, staticky. And, and there's a lot of disconnect here because I was taught to, to learn the rules and follow the rules regardless of what I feel of who I think that I am. And mm -hmm. so I've had lots of practice of overriding. This I think is my identity. This is my binder full of information. <laughs> like this isn't right. my identity up here. And so I just completely cut this off and I was just trying to function according to the books. And so Polly has has revealed to me the, necess the necessity to, to, to know myself by connecting that. And even in this moment, I'm going through another deconstruction of understanding how, how small of a person I've, I, I tend to, to be in certain circumstances because I feel like I need to let larger energy people dominate and, and that it ends up just flattening me out into like a two-dimensional character. And, and I just completely fake my interactions. And that's the thing that I'm learning about now. And it's very fucking painful. I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> but It's work, um, right? It's just, it it's is. work. 
it's because to find to to find autonomy, you have to look inside yourself. And right. but, but moreover, everyone's very excited about the self discussion of like, oh yeah, I'm autonomous, so I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can, but if you are, so is everyone else. And mm -hmm. so that's what's guided me a lot in polyamory to be respectful to the people that I engage with, and even outside of polyamory, that everyone is autonomous. And they're so you so you really need to think about like how you're engaging with someone. What words are you saying? Are you saying things that infer you don't think that they have a choice, or are you saying things that validate their choice and then want to move into a discussion to negotiate and to find some nuance? But when you don't believe that people have autonomy, when you want to control other people's behaviors, when you believe subliminally that 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 this codependency, this enmeshment, then that's the kind of way that you're going to behave. And that's the kind of relationships that you're going to have. But autonomy creates some, so, so much of a healthier connection where two people can be individuals or, or three or four <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. together. And, and then we can respect that and create something incredibly unique together. And so this is something that you value highly in your coaching practice. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. And also, uh, you know, since we're getting close to the, to the end of our time here, uh, tell me, tell me how autonomy fits into your coaching practice and then tell, uh, the audience how they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you. Yeah. Um, so I started doing coaching because it just started naturally happening because I, like I mentioned, I'm a very transparent person. Uh, even when I'm hurting, I try to be transparent about it because we all are hurting and we're not mm -hmm. transparent about it and we need to normalize it. So I started talking about it and then people started talking to me about it. And pretty soon I'm getting on long phone calls for free, <laughs> <laughs> helping people, which was totally okay until I realized I'm amazing at it. And then I was like, maybe let's explore this. And so then I started kind of selling myself like that and just experienced a lot of success, not just for myself, but for my clients. My clients were experiencing- If you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Joker. <laughs> yeah, but they were experiencing a lot of success. And I think it's because I'm very focused on on autonomy, that um, I, I don't try to make my clients go in a particular direction. And I'm, I'm very concerned with them getting connected to their heart and stop playing by these rules in their head that are arbitrary and irrelevant if, if you don't know what's going on here, and then helping them to then externalize that and project mm -hmm. that understanding of autonomy onto their partner so that they can have more productive conversations. And um, yeah, and so that's the work that I do. And if people are curious about it and want to learn more about me, you are graciously uh, running the ticker on the bottom of the screen and you can go to mariedelefant.com. All right. And also follow on Instagram at mariedelefant. That's right. All right, Marie, it really has been uh, so much fun uh, and so enlightening <laughs> to chat with you. I've, I've really, I feel like, uh, like you're, you're, you're speaking my language and, and just uh, really, really learned a lot from you. Um, is there anything else that you wish that I had asked that I forgot to ask or just some final thoughts that you would want to leave with our audience before we head off? There's one fun story I want to tell real quick and I'll try to make it really quick. But the first time I got exposure to Polly sincerely was when I listened to this show, this podcast called Secular Sexuality in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I started listening 
And um, the guy that hosted it, his name is Dr. Daryl Ray. He's written a number of books. He's really active in the post-religious community. But um, he had so many episodes about polyamory. And I was like, what's up with this guy? He's super into this. It's so outlandish. Um, but I ended up submitting an essay to him for a contest of, of like, let's share about our sexual history, like our repression and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and he ended up sharing it on the show. And then I ended up winning the contest. And then I ended up visiting him that summer in Kansas. And then the next year I ended up emailing him and I'm like, I'm Polly now. <laughs> And I had to nice. admit to him that when I first met him, I thought he was a nasty old man. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which he takes as a badge of pride. So it's just kind of this fun little circle because now he's a very, very dear friend of mine. And it's just kind of fun to see how to, to see how close-minded I was at that time mm -hmm. and now how I have expanded and, and can understand a different way of living. Nice. And uh, ironically, um, do you recognize the name Christy Powell? Oh, yeah. I love Christy. I've been on the show. Yeah, he was on uh, this show uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. Christy's yeah. the best. Christy's awesome. So shout out to Christy. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny story. I love it. I love it. Huh. No. Well, uh, again, Marie, thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for spending time. Uh, really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been so fun. Thanks for having me on, James. For sure, for sure. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. Uh, but, you know, keep downloading them because I get a penny every time you do. Love you. <laughs> if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is you down that you download your podcast if you haven't already, and please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you again, Marie, and uh, for the rest of y'all. Have a nice day! Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.